Well, have you ever struggled to believe God, believe what He says in the midst of the circumstances of your life here on earth? Have you ever been confused about what it means to follow Jesus in this broken world? Well, the message of John to these seven churches is a message from the Lord to these seven churches who are trying to figure out what it means to follow after God, to live by faith in Babylon, in a world that's broken, in a world that has different values than God does, and how to make sense of it. So as we continue our journey uh, in chapter 3 this, this morning, uh, hearing these words to these seven churches, the three that we'll, we'll look at today, it's important for us to recognize that these messages to these historical churches are messages that still apply to us as we live in this broken world shaped by values that are not shaped by God. Some things that we want to make note of before we dive into chapter 3 today, is that these messages are for everyone trusting Jesus while living in Babylon. The Holy Spirit inspires John in the midst of his vision to write to these seven churches. And they are actual places, actual congregations, historically placed in what we now call Turkey. They had, each community had specific things that were true about it, specific challenges that they were wrestling through. At the same time, in this apocalypse, in this visionary uh, communication, we recognize that seven is a really important number. It's the number of completion, the number of wholeness. And so as John writes to these seven churches, it's also a message to all believers living in a broken world at that time and in our time. As we reflect on what we see, what we heard last week in those first four congregations and what we'll see today in chapter three, I think it's also important to recognize that some of these congregations received affirmation and correction. A couple of them received just encouragement as they were struggling through really hard things. And a couple of them hear only correction. And as we look at those core messages to each of the seven churches, we find out that there are actually kind of ten statements of those affirmations and corrections and warnings, which is another symbolic number of wholeness, completeness, like the Ten Commandments, all right? And it's also interesting to find out that there are five messages of affirmation and five messages of correction and warning. So it's a very balanced message from the Lord to his people. Sometimes it's tempting as we read through these messages to these churches to see which church we identify with the most. And while there's some helpful aspect to that, um, we might relate more to one either as a congregation or as an individual than we might to another but these churches aren't types, categories necessarily. 
And the message that's repeated in each message to the churches is to those who have ears, hear the message that God speaks to the churches. It's important for us to listen to the truth and the implications for each of these congregations as we apply to ourselves in our current situation what God is saying. So this morning, uh, we're going to look at these three congregations in Revelation chapter 3. And again, because Revelation promises blessing to those who hear these words, we're, we're going to read the entire chapter and then kind of walk through it. So before I read, let me just pray and invite the Spirit to guide us through this. Father God, we come before you this morning. We thank you that you speak truth to us. We thank you that these messages that were true and accurate to these ancient historical congregations still apply in many ways to us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would refine us through these messages. We pray that you would call us to faith, that you would convict us where we need it, and that you would open us up and turn us toward your hope through our, through our repentance and our acceptance of the truth of the words that you speak. So give us wisdom and insight and discernment as we reflect on your words now and in the coming days that we would take to heart that we who have ears would hear your messages to the churches. In Jesus' name, amen. In your pew Bibles, uh, you'll find chapter 3 on page 1064. Um, I invite you to open up and read along, but you can also just let the words wash over you. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, But our liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. 
Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, to the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we reflect on these words and the things that are happening at each of these congregations and try to apply them to us, there's, there's one thing that God says to each of the churches that I think it's, it's important for us to hear this truth. God says, I know your deeds. I know you. I know what you've done. I know what you haven't done. I know your deeds. And he sees it through the cold, hard facts of the law. He knows our deeds. He knows our, the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. He knows us. He knows what we've done. And he isn't judging it by our intentions. We don't get to justify ourselves by saying, oh, we tried really hard. We wanted good things. We just got selfish in the midst of it. We just tripped up over ourselves. God knows the authenticity of our faith. He knows the desire of our hearts. He knows the struggle that we have as we try to apply his word and live it out in our lives. He knows the weakness and desperation that we feel as we feel worn out and beat up by the, the problems in our lives, the struggles that we face, and the evil in the world around us. And he knows the sin, the addictions, the desires, the way we pursue the, ap 
the attitude, the, ap- the appetites of our stomach and try to satisfy ourselves with the things of the world. God says to each of the churches, wherever they're at, whatever their struggles, whatever the condition, I know your deeds. And he says it to us as well. And it can be a hard word and it can be an encouraging word. He knows us. He knows our struggles. He knows our victories. He recognizes our faith. And he sees the sin in our lives. God says to each of us, to all of his people, I know your deeds. And in these three churches, uh, two of them are the two churches that receive no affirmation, just words of correction, but some words of, of promise and invitation still, but the situation that they're in is dire. Sardis and Laodicea are broken places of faith. And God warns his people about pretense and apathy. As he speaks to the church in Sardis, he says, I know you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What does that mean? In many ways, I think it means, well, and scholars suggest it means that the believers in Sardis had had become followers of Jesus in name only. They were labeled Christian. It was a Christian church. But they weren't daily living by faith. They just had this empty shell of this name that belonged to the God that they served. But they were struggling with how to live in the world. And the world had started to consume them. And the faith that had once characterized this congregation was now just like a historical label. But it wasn't true of how they lived and how they knew God. They weren't living in repentance. They weren't living in daily faith. You know, a couple weeks ago uh, in our J-term, John Lutz encouraged us, challenged us that it's in daily repentance, by daily picking up our cross and following after Jesus, that we were alive in faith with him. This daily experience of the conviction of our sin, our turning to the Lord in repentance, and receiving his grace and mercy. And any time that our life of faith becomes kind of this historical memory, like I I'm okay not because of what God has said to me today, but because I remember a time when it mattered to me. That's a dangerous place for us to live. And the message to Sardis is a warning for us that we would not just be labeled with a name that sounds alive, that we would not be labeled as Christian, but that we would actually live as followers of Jesus. Of all the churches that I I think relate really well to American society and maybe even in particular to the Chippewa Valley, in terms of their cultural context, I think Laodicea relates 
to the culture that we live in. Laodicea is warned about apathy and, and being lukewarm. And, and that's an important picture. The picture comes from, it was this affluent society. Uh, they were wealthy, great at business. They were a fashion industry. And they were a medical center. They had designed this salve for eyes that was helpful and, and people all around needed it. And so they, they had health advancements, fashion and art and wealth. The things of the world were at their fingertips and they had grown comfortable. They had started to feel confident in the things of the world and their own affluence and their ability to manage their lives on earth. But God calls out to them and says, you are poor in spirit. And if you would recognize that the clothes that you wear, as fancy as they are, leave you vulnerable and naked before me, and your health advancements only last as long as this life lasts. And your wealth, you can't take it with you. You are actually poor, needy, naked, broken, and sick in your hearts and in your souls, and you need me. And blessed are the poor in spirit. But you are proud. Now, lots of things are said about the, the lukewarmness, this description of apathy, but I, I think it's helpful to know that in Laodicea is, is much of a center for industry in all these industries. They had so many resources, but they had an insufficient water source. So they could pipe in water from the hot springs from a community about five miles away, and they could pipe in cold water, fresh water from another community on the other side of town miles away. But as valuable and useful as hot water is, and as valuable and useful as cold water is, the water by the time it got to Laodicea was neither hot nor cold. It was just kind of eh, disgusting. And so God is saying, you know the value of hot water you know the value of cold water. Both of those things are good and right, and you need them. You know how disgusting lukewarm water is. That's how I see you. In the comforts of the world, your faith has grown lukewarm. It's useless. You need hot water. You need cold water. You don't have either. You're not producing either. God warns his people against pretense. Don't pretend you're with me when you're not. He warns his people against apathy. Don't be distracted by the things of the world, the riches of the world, the comforts of the world, the accolades of the world, because none of them bring you close to me. 
But in each of the churches, God speaks truth. And in these two churches, we hear this, this hard word of warning and conviction. And it's important that we recognize that what God says to these churches will happen are the things that will happen when he returns and all truth is revealed. That if they stay in this place, on this path, just absorbed by the world, they will find themselves apart from him. But he continues to say, but today as you hear this word, repent, turn to me, let go of your grip on the things of earth and instead turn to me and let me grab a hold of you. So God offers his people a promise and an invitation. We see it in each of the messages to the churches. And in particular, it's what he offers the church in Philadelphia. We don't know as much about the cultural context of ancient Philadelphia at this time. But one thing that we know is that they were subject to earthquakes. They had to evacuate their their city often in order to find safety somewhere else. And so God speaks to them and he says, you have suffered in this battle of faith in Babylon. But you've remained true to me. You continue to hold on to the truth that I've given you. And you speak it and you rely on it. But I see that you're worn out. You have very little strength. But God says, I've opened the door so that you don't even have to push it open. Just keep enduring. Come to me and I will take care of you. I will rescue you. And the promise that he offers the Philadelphians is so beautiful and powerful. He says, if you endure, if you continue on this path that you have, as worn out as you feel, but you stay true to me, you will no longer have to escape. You'll no longer find yourselves apart from me, but I will make you a pillar in my temple. Your place will be secure. You will help secure the place for others. That you will always be in my presence. Stable and secure. And you won't need strength to sustain it anymore. I will give you all the strength you need. And you will experience in fullness the blessing of being with me. To the church in Sardis, God says, you're an empty shell. You call yourself faithful people, but I don't see faith in you. And yet, there is a remnant. There are people who have not soiled their clothes. They remain in robes of white like their Savior. They will be my people, and I will be their God. But he says to them, All of you who are empty shells and dead in your faith today, if you hear my voice, if you recognize the truth in what I'm saying and you turn to me, repent from your death 
and let me make you alive, you too will get a new name and you will be clothed with robes of white in my presence. To the church in Laodicea, he says, you're so apathetic, I just want to spit you out of my mouth so that you can see what a desperate place that you're in. But though I know your deeds, I know your hard and cold hearts, still, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open the door and receive me, I will come in. I will sit with you and eat with you. And I will be your God and you will be my people and we will be together forever. The messages to the churches are both good and affirming and hard to hear. But to all of God's people, all seven churches, God invites us to receive him now, to know him now, to be with him now. Whatever our story was in the past, it doesn't have to be the way our story ends. Because Jesus will soon hear him say in a couple chapters, I am making all things new. This morning, as we turn our attention to communion, we hear this invitation from Jesus again. This has come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Today, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. And he says, if you receive me, if you let me in, if you open the door, if you receive my body and blood, I will come into you. And I will be with you. I will be what you need. I will be enough for you. I will be with you always. And I will pay for your sin. I will remove it from you so that you can be with me in peace. I'll make you a pillar in my temple. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So today God speaks these ancient words as new words, fresh words to us. It says, you as my people, as the seven churches my people scattered everywhere. There are things I want to affirm in you. And there are things I need you to see. Hear my voice. Open the door. Come to me, and I will hold on to you. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and... We're so grateful that you tell us the truth. Whether we feel convicted and kind of fearful, or we feel encouraged that you're still talking with us. We know we need to hear the message, the truth of it in its wholeness. 
So we pray that you would convict us of our sin, that you would reveal it to us, that you would help us to see the darkness in our hearts in the ways that we trust ourselves and trust the world instead of you. But we also thank you that though you know our deeds, though you know our struggle and our sin and our depravity, you know that you love us, that you made us on purpose, and you desire a relationship with us now and forever. And we thank you for speaking these words of invitation, and we pray that you would prepare our hearts and grow our faith that we would open the door and receive you again today. You are the one we need, and you are enough for us. In Jesus' name, amen.